Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and and your financial freedom. What does that mean, financial freedom? Uh, the word retirement gets thrown around a lot. And how is the word retirement different than the word fine or the words, the statement financial freedom? I'd like to cover that just a little bit, and then I want to go into what's happening with most people out there. I was uh, reading an article the other day. Someone sent me. It said 71% of all Americans are not expecting to retire. 71% of all Americans. Now, in the old days, probably 70 or 80% of the people retired. There was a retirement age. And when you hit that age, you put in your 20 years or your 30 years, and, you know, the military is that way, teachers' unions are that way. Um, you hit this 20 or 30-year thing, police, fire, and then they all have these retirement packages, and people just retired. And you were supposed to live your elderly years out in this bliss, you know, you find some really nice place to live, and you... You go fishing, and, you know, we see it on TV all the time, that white-haired couple that are just in perfect condition, look great, walking up and down the beach with a big smile, you know, staying at an expensive uh, hotel. And that's the envisionment. That's what retirement was. You see them, you know, taking care of the grandkids and going and playing and visiting all the grandkids. But where's all that at nowadays? Now... That's what we used to define as retirement, but 71% of the people out there don't expect to ever get to that stage. Man, that's pretty crazy, huh? Now, let's convert that to financial freedom. Financial freedom's a little bit different. It's not an age, first off. It's any time in your life, whether it be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever age it is, you decide to put into place passive streams of income to the extent that those passive streams of income create enough income for you to live at the standard of living that you wish to live at. Now, there's a lot of variables in there, right? First of all, at what standard of living do you expect to live at is an interesting point. Now, if you do it early and you build your passive stream of income up you don't have that much you're not used to or have not gotten to the point of living an extravagant lifestyle, it's much easier to get to financial freedom because you don't have as much to replace. Secondly, if you start earlier, you're going to continue to build that income stream for the rest of your life. So you're going to become extremely rich if you start early. I started in my 30s. I think uh, two and a half years after I started buying single-family rent houses, I had enough income to cover my earned income of working 12 hours a day, six days a week. And so 
I didn't want to work 12 hours a day, six days a week because there was no life left at the end of the, at the end of the week, there was only a few hours to do laundry and cook and clean and maybe get some extra sleep. No real time to live. So I wanted out. For me, financial freedom meant breaking out of corporate America, buying my life back from corporate America, so to speak, and living free, free to do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. Then you have to ask yourself, though, but can you afford to do whatever you want? And I didn't have a lot of expectations back then as a young guy, 30 years old, single. So I didn't have a lot of need for a lot of money, but I built the income streams to where I ended up having a lot of money. And at each level of income stream increase, at each level, I would add more income to my life. And as I add more income to my life, I would have more money available, free income, because my expenses didn't really go up. Every couple of increases in income, I'd go, you know, I'm going to move from this $100,000 home to this $200,000 home. And from the 200000 I went to a 400000 From the 400000 I went to a half or to a million-dollar home. And from the million-dollar home, I went to the um, four or five million, whatever my house is worth today, home. I will tell you this, though. At each time that I went up in my home, which I believe to be consumption. I believe wherever you live, that's consumption. It's not an investment. Although I made money on this home that I purchased. I purchased a home that was built for 3.5. I bought it for 2.4, made a million bucks on it. And now it's worth quite a bit more than that. Um, but the, the point is, is that um, each time I moved up in size of home, I never bought a home that I couldn't actually, absolutely could not, or I did not make that much money that year. In other words, every home I've ever bought, I made at least that much money that year is what the home cost me. So it was one year's worth of income to buy the home is what basically I'm trying to say. And since I've lived here 10 years, my income has gone up, gone up, gone up, gone up, gone up. We went out trying to look for homes the other day in the, oh, what was, we're up to $12 million type thing. And I still felt comfortable because I've made that much in a year, so that's not a big deal. And what I want you to understand here is that where I'm taking you here mentally is that every single year I have made more money than what I've really needed, and I've saved it. And then, here's the key, reinvested it so it would make me more money the next year. Now, you do that from age 34 all the way up to age 64, and you've done a lot. And so... During the pandemic, I've had nothing to do. There's really not a lot you can go out and do. And so I looked into building new businesses. So we built a new software business. And we built another real estate company, you know, to sell real estate. And I bought two more uh, um, real estate deals, and I have three more under contract. Actually, I think it's going to be four now because I'm going to sign a contract today. It's going to make four more. So each one of those deals probably makes me another $10,000 a month. So with the, the seven pieces of real estate I bought since last year, would it be seven? And the software company and the real estate company, I stand to make another seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 per month above and beyond what I already make. 
Now, I'm not telling you that because I want to impress you with how much money I make. I'm trying to share with you what I've been doing for 30 years and why it works. When I first started it, I had a house and made $220. The next month, I go, wow, that was pretty neat. I'm going to buy three more. So now I made another $880 a month because I added three more. So now I had four $200 a month or $220 a month. Each I had $880 a month. The numbers were much smaller then because what I was investing in each deal was smaller. I mean, I think I was only putting $1,000 down on the house at the time. 2000 I think it's 2000 on it per house. So when you put 2000 down, you make $220 a month. When you put 25000 down, you make $500 a month, right? It's just bigger numbers. Of course, there's inflation and everything else. So the bottom line is, is that you start somewhere, you build up these passive streams of income, and then at one point, you pass the break-even line. What do I mean by break-even? I mean you pass the point at which your passive income meets or exceeds your earned income. And when that happens, you are financially free. Does that mean you retire at that point? No. It doesn't. Could you retire at that point? Yes. It becomes a decision. A decision that you are free, hence financial freedom, that you are free to make. Because now it's your decision. It's not your boss's decision. It's not your finances decision. It's not your wife or husband's decision. It's your decision. And in order to have the privilege of making that decision, you have to put in the effort. And you have to put in the effort to make some money, live below your means, save some money, invest some money, and learn how to invest the money the right way. The investment of the job to earn the money, the investment of living below your means of budgeting, the investment of budgeting, the, the investment of learning how to invest correctly, and then the time taken to invest correctly, all produce the results. But for those of you that don't do it, we've got a show for you. We'll be right back with 25 Reasons Why You'll Never Retire. Talk 1370. Unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Del Wamsley. Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about the difference between retirement and financial freedom. We had that discussion in the first segment. Now we're going to change over to the second part of this discussion, which is why is it that 71% of the people in this country believe they're never going to hit retirement? which means they're never going to be at the point where they can stop working. They're going to continue to work into their 70s and 80s uh, until they drop dead, basically. And so I've got this article here. It's 25 reasons why uh, there will be no golden years is basically what it's saying. Uh, the first one is, number one, is that we're living longer. You know, it used to be retirement. You could afford to retire because you didn't need very much money to survive because just about the year you'd stop working, a year or two later, you'd die. And that's just not the case anymore. People are living longer lives. In my family, males lasted about to age 65. So I've lived my entire life as if I would die by age 65. So I knew I had enough money to retire a long, long, long time ago because here I am, 64 right now. 
Uh, I've only got whatever it be. Uh, we're a month three, month ten. I got seven months left. Whew. And then I'm gone. Or so I thought. But now if I had not have built up my income to where I have, you know, if I had thought that I was only going to have to have the money to live to age 65 and bam, you wake up and you're 65, you go, now what do I do? Well, luckily for me, I had one uncle out of all the males in my family, all the males. I got one uncle that's lived 82 years of age. And so I started following him and talking to him and looking at it thinking, hmm, I may live longer than 65. So you, know, you better start thinking about longevity now, guys. It's going to take more money to retire or it's not. In other words, once you have a passive stream of income, it's not about how much money you have. They say that before you should retire, you should have eight times your base salary of your job. Well, if you made $100,000 a year, that'd be $800,000. If you made $50,000 a year, it'd be $400,000. But that, even that amount of money can run out. So the reality is, it's not how much money you have, it's how much annual income you have. Or in my case, most of my incomes are set up on monthly basis. I, I really believe in monthly basis. The only, time, the only stuff I'm getting in uh, larger than that is my apartment incomes where we take it quarterly but everything else is monthly, all right? Number two, education costs more. Hey, very large percentage of our of Americans today are living well into their 40s and 50s with college debt and educational debt. And it's killing people. You know, if you're sitting there paying off debt, you can't be saving for the future, et cetera, et cetera, unless you realize you're not saving for the future, you're investing for the future. Um, so the student debt has become a real problem. Next one is employer benefits have all but disappeared. In other words, other than the fire department, the police department, teachers, and the military, there's almost no lifetime guaranteed retirement income anymore. Used to be, it's just not there anymore. It pretty much just about eliminated it. And so you're going to have to have enough money saved up or you're going to have to have enough income coming out each month to take care of you the rest of your life. Uh, they said something about 1998, 59% of uh, all current Fortune 500 companies offered defined benefits plan. By 2017, that's dropped only 16% of companies uh, are going to get defined benefits, or people are going to get defined benefits. For it was 60% in 98. It's down to 16% now. So um, you've got some problems there if you're counting on your, your employer to take care of you. Uh, the next one it talks about is the problem is people don't know how to invest. Um, obviously, that's what we talk about all the time here. That's probably one of our, our major contributions is to talk about people not knowing how to invest correctly. And so what most people do is they hand their money over to some planned administrator who puts it wherever they can put it to get them to earn the most commissions they can earn. And not really worried about whether or not you'll be able to retire or not. They're just worried about whether or not they're going to make their share of the commissions they want to make. Next one, 
Social Security doesn't buy as much. All right. So the relationship, the ratio between the increase in the amount of Social Security you can receive and the cost of living, that ratio is widening. In other words, you're going to lose buying power with your Social Security dollars. Uh, it talks about in this article here that people's lost as much as 33% of their buying power of the Social Security buying dollar over the last 20 years. So you, you just you can't get along with it. It's, it's not doing the job anymore, along with the fact that there's always that question, will Social Security ever go bankrupt? I don't know. Who knows? This is the next one I thought was pretty interesting. The gig economy has hurt retirement savings. What does that mean? Uh, gig is where you go to work for a company and that you don't work for that company for the rest of your life. Hey, I got a gig. What's your gig? I'm doing this gig right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be this for a while and maybe do that for a year or two. And then I think I'm going to flip over to this and do this for a while. And when you have those either contract labor positions or short-term employment positions, um, there's no benefits with them. There's no way they're going to give you any lifetime benefits. Uh, it just isn't going to happen. And so by being free, quote unquote, and I'm doing the big quotation marks in the air right there, by being free, like our society wants to be today, I don't want to be tied down to the same old job for the rest of my life. That freedom is costing you benefits. And uh, I saw an old girlfriend of mine was an engineer. No, she was a geologist and she worked for a big oil company. And I think they paid her. I don't know what it was. They paid her, let's say, $135,000 a year, plus a lot of really nice benefits. And she quit the job because she built enough passive streams of income to be able to survive. And when she did, they brought her back as contract labor at $165,000 a year instead of $135,000. The extra $30,000 a year they paid her was basically the equivalent of the benefits that she was getting. But once she quit, those benefits were gone. Luckily for her, she'd already bought an apartment complex and some other real estate. So she had backed up that loss of those benefits. Here's another one I think is really true right now, and that is bond yields are low. And it's not just bonds. Bond yields are low, CDs are low, savings accounts are low. In other words, all of that fixed income that seniors used to live off of, that I used to believe in, I used to like having a lot of money in savings accounts and CDs and bonds and stuff, because it was income every single month, it was safe and it was insured by the U.S. government. That stuff is earning nothing now. Less than 1%, I think it's a half a percent, is a typical type bond savings account income at this point. Take a short break. Be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Talk 13-7, the right choice. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time. Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're discussing the difference between financial freedom and retirement. And retirement is this elusive age and place where the world's supposed to come together and you can stop working and go live the rest of your life wonderfully. 71% of Americans do not believe they'll ever hit retirement at this point, is what the analysis is looking like. Uh, so what we're talking about here is why is that? Why has it changed so? Most people used to believe they were gonna retire. Um, say a very large percentage of people did retire at some point in their life and now it's not happening anymore. People are working 
on into their 70s and on into their 80s even. It's just it's an amazing thing. So next one that comes up, and by the way, I'm going over a list of 25 reasons why people don't believe they're going to retire early or will a be able to retire early or at all. I'm sorry. The next one is divorce after 50 has increased. Um, while the overall rate of divorce in the U.S. has declined over the past 20 years, it's on the rise among 50-plus demographic. Getting divorced after 50 years or 60 years of age has a significant impact on your ability to retire. Boy, I bet you got almost nothing, and now you divide it by two, and now you have to support two households, right? Two homes, two cars, two this, two that. You go through the the cost of getting divorced, which, you know, at that age, you've probably been together for some years. So you've got significant amount of, you know, mixed assets together. So you got to fight for them, right? At least maybe you don't have to fight for the kids at that point, but you got to fight for the assets. So a divorce is and can be very devastating. I'll tell you that whenever I get emails from people, and they say that, you know, they, they give me this sob story, and I don't mean this to be mean. I'm not trying to say this mean, but it is that. It's usually a, a, a long literation of sob story where this went wrong, that went wrong, this went wrong, that went wrong, on and on and on. There's been two basic things that I've seen that wipe people out and keep them wiped out for almost the rest of their life. One of them is divorce. I mean, picking the wrong spouse can be one of the most devastating financial mistakes you can make. Now, I did it twice. <laughs> uh, luckily for me, though, in all cases, I've never commingled my finances with my wife. I've always had a um, prenuptial agreement, and I've always had her money, my money, and our money. Um, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying, but if you don't, divorce can wipe you out. Um, the second one, by the way, was is health, fitness, or not health and fitness, but health. Uh, people that have chronic illness or their spouse has chronic illness or their parents have chronic illness or their kids have chronic illness uh, don't do well in our society. I mean, that medical costs, those medical costs are outrageous. I mean, the, the insurance doesn't cover everything like you think it does. And really, those are the people that should have insurance, and that insurance should cover that stuff. But should, woulda, coulda, doesn't happen. So you're going to need to take care of yourself financially. Uh, one of the things I do for working on my costs is I have a, I don't even know what they're called, a, a health savings account. In other words, I take a part of my income every year and put it into an account uh, that I don't have to pay taxes on. It's kind of a tax write-up. And use that money to pay what my insurance doesn't pay on anything I have to do. Here's another one that's interesting. Parents are supporting their adult children. Uh, unbelievable. 61% of American parents provide financial help to their adult children. 61% provide help to their adult children. That's unbelievable. That is just unbelievable. And I know I help my daughter out with money for things she wants, and it's 
kind of like I'm rich, and so it's kind of expected if you got a rich dad, they'll take care of some stuff for you. But nowhere near is it a full-time salary or nowhere near is it, you know, to where I take care of all of her needs. I give her things, buy her gifts that she needs, can't afford herself, but she has to support herself on a day-to-day basis. And I'm not telling you that I do kids right or anything. Don't even get me wrong, man. I didn't do the kid thing right in any way, shape, or form, any better than anybody else for that matter, I guess. But the reality is, is that 61% of Americans are still supporting. I think that's different. What I'm trying to get across is I'm not supporting my daughter. I'm giving her gifts. They are supporting these adult kids. That's just ungodly, guys. That's ungodly. 61%. Now, how do you think you'll ever retire if, even if you can save up enough for you to retire, how do you save up enough for you to retire and sustain taking care of your kids? Um, Let's reverse that one. Taking care of your parents. How do you save for retirement if you have been strapped with taking care of your parents? I don't know the number because I didn't read this off this article. It may be somewhere further in the article, but I don't, so I don't have the, the, the numbers. But think about that. How many people do you think are taking care of their, their parents because their parents can't support themselves because they didn't plan for retirement? Here's an interesting one. Reoccurring expenses have increased. Um, this, one is, this one's sad. It goes on and says, Netflix to Amazon Prime, Americans have grown to love their many conveniences and memberships. A licensed marriage family therapist suggests these expenses are adding up and eating away at the bottom line. One reason that retirement is so hard is that now we have a ton of reoccurring monthly expenses through subscriptions that often push people over their budget. Wow. You know, and you don't even realize that. My dad told me something a long time ago when I was a kid. He said, Dell, it's not what it costs to buy something. It's what it costs to maintain it. And living in my home, no matter what I paid for this home, the bottom line is it's the most expensive thing I have in my life next to my wife. <laughs> She's the most expensive thing I have. But this house, I mean, the cost of upkeep is ungolly, gosh, hard. Uh, It blows my mind. Every single day, it seems like I'm meeting with some contractor to take care of something that's broken or worn out. Now, I've owned the house for 10 years now, so it's at that age, you know, that magical age of 10 years old. There's a satellite that goes around the universe, around the Earth, and anything 10 years old and older, it just sends down a signal, break, fall apart, because all the warranties are gone. It's time to destroy it, fall it apart, make it pile all over again. So things don't last. (laughs) Um... Here's one that's interesting. Home ownership has been delayed. For many Americans, a home is their single biggest asset and often helps to secure retirement. Um, witness, this guy has witnessed a growing trend for people not buying homes and waiting until uh, much later in life so that by the time that they're 65 years of age, they still have no equity in their home. Um, and they're still paying for housing, whereas... Years past, people would buy their first home in their 20s, uh, you know, work until they pay 30-year mortgage, and by the time they were 50 years old, their house was free and clear. And that was kind of a model back then, but not anymore. People aren't even buying homes until their 30s and 40s. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Uh, I'm thinking of our kids. We've got 
three kids and two kids uh, are renting. No, I'm sorry. It's one kid is renting and two kids live with their parents. One with my wife, one with uh, uh, my wife's ex-husband. And uh, I guess so there it is. All of them are in their 30s and none of them own a home. Pretty bizarre. Now, one of our daughters is going into buying a home with her boyfriend. So that's the first touch of realism we've seen in our family. But a lot of people, they're just not buying homes anymore. Uh, second thing, homes cost much more than they used to. I remember 2000, hmm, what was those, 1998, well, when was it? I'm trying to think, 30 years ago, uh, it's 2021, so it'd, been nine, it'd be 88, 2008 or 1988, when I first started doing real estate, 30 years ago, <sighs> somewhere around then. I was buying houses for 25,000 bucks a piece. Nowadays, you, put, you can't put 25,000 down to buy a house, or you typically would have to put 25,000 down just as a down payment on a house. So I mean, very much more. The median price back then was $50,000 for a home. I was paying 25, buying them 50 cents on the dollar. We'll take a short break, be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Austin's Talk, 1370. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about the difference between financial freedom and retirement. Financial freedom being the point in which you've replaced your earned income and uh, with passive income. You either meet or exceed the amount of income that you had from your earned income so that you don't need to work if you don't want to. Whereas retirement is some mythological uh, place where you have a pile of money high enough that you just quit <laughs> just, and live off your pile of money for the rest of your life. 71% of Americans uh, that were polled believe they'll never see that day come in this day and age. And we're reading an article about 25 reasons why they believe they won't. Uh, before we went to break, homes cost more. Uh, it's it's amazing. Like I was saying, when I started in real estate, the median price was $50,000 a house. Um, back when we had a recession here in uh, 2009 and 10, I think it's 2009, uh, the median price was $150,000 a home here in Houston. And now the median price is like, I think, $250,000. Um, it's unbelievable. The, the country's median price is even higher than that, 350000 something. So houses are expensive nowadays, even starter homes. And they're not building that many starter homes. So it's uh, you got to think about this. The more assets you own, if inflation occurs like that, that a house becomes, goes from 50000 to $250,000 in value, uh, what is that? That's five times 500% increase during my lifetime. Uh, think about if you've got millions of dollars worth of real estate at a 500% increase, you can see where wealth is really developed is by owning real estate. Um, the next one is not only are houses more expensive, but big house trend caught on. Um, most people used to live in starter homes. Thousand, when I first started buying real estate, the median size home is about 1,000 square feet. And then 
10 years later, the median size house was about 2,500 square feet. And then they just stopped building stuff that small. You know, they, they called them McMansions. Everybody had a 3,500 square foot home or larger. It's just amazing, you know? And when you go through the more, the nicer neighborhoods, and this is true, you can't go buy a house with all the really nice amenities unless you buy a house that's at least 5,000 square feet. So you can't get the really neat stuff unless you go up to 5,000 square feet. I'd like to have all the neat stuff in about a 3,000 square foot home and not have seven bedrooms. I only want three bedrooms, you know? And I only want, you know, a small amount, one living area attached to my kitchen. I don't need a formal living, formal dining, formal this, blah, 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 and family room and game room. But that's not the way you can buy it. You have to buy big if you want to get all the nice things that you want in your house, right? So the big house craze has established itself as being the way that, that it is. Um, let's see here. What's the next one? Healthcare is a bigger expense. Boy, I don't even I don't even know where to start with that one. I don't know where to end with that one. I mean, obviously, healthcare has become ridiculously expensive, and um, it's one of those things that it's just going to get more expensive. I know they came up with this Obamacare stuff. It didn't do any good. Your deductible is five thousand dollars a year for the average family. Five thousand per person deductible. Next one is long-term care costs have increased. So if you get to that point and you're old and you don't die, it's becoming more and more expensive for your heirs to take care of you, which means they're never going to get to retire. Uh, this one's here. Lifestyle factors are expensive. Another factor keeping people in the workforce is insufficient funds to maintain their current lifestyle and financial responsibilities. They have extended families who financially depend on them, and some seniors have adult children, grandchildren living with them. Okay, it's the same thing we already talked about. Salaries have not kept up with cost of living. The average salary today it has a significantly reduced purchasing power than the previous generations. All right, today the average wage has about the same purchasing power as it did 40 years ago. Wage gains have mostly flowed to the high-paid tier workers. So while Americans' paychecks are bigger than 40 years ago, the purchasing power has uh, gone down. Okay? So that makes it tougher for you. The money you do have or do earn or do get is less effective. Overall cost of living is higher. In addition to increasing the education costs, health care costs, housing costs, daily expenses have increased as well. Costs that have debilitating uh Debilitated the current generation, including technology, communication, and childcare. Increasing housing costs, food and transportation costs, most employers use to provide health care and no cost to the employee. Now families are being left without enough disposable income to survive. Next one, people start contributing to retirement funds later in life. Now, why is that? With all the expenses associated with simple simply living, funding one's retirement often gets put on the back burner when you cannot consider the most people start contributing to their accounts far later than they should. All right. Next one. People use outdated investment strategies. Many Americans stick with what they know, and that's often big American stocks. This means they miss out on rallies and stocks and bonds and other parts of the world that would help grow retirement funds more. Credit card debt has skyrocketed. Debt is another reason it's more difficult to save for retirement than it has in previous years. In addition to student loan debt, credit card debt is higher than at any time in history. That's interesting because 
You know, debt is something you can control. Uh, people make more job changes than they have in the past. We talked about what that does to you. And many older Americans were not conditioned to save for retirement. So there you go. Last one, people are unaware how much they need for retirement. And again, that used to tell you that you needed eight times your salary saved up and that would be enough for retirement. They used to tell you you'd be able to earn 4% on what you had saved to, simply by putting in bonds and CDs and doing bond ladders and CD ladders and so forth and have some here and some there. Nowadays, that number's gone down to 3%. And if it were known truthfully, it's probably less than 1% now. So the bottom line, if you're gonna retire, you're gonna to need to change your point of view and not look for the almighty retirement day. What you need to do is look for the financial freedom day, the day when you've created as much passive income as you currently work to earn. And at that point, when you have all the money coming in without you getting up to go to work, you can make the decision whether you do or do not want to retire. But either way, remember this, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation.